Chapter 14 of Campfire Girls in the Country by Stella M. Francis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. A Story Cut Short. Why do you ask that question, Hazel? Mrs. Hutchins inquired after she recovered from the shock which her niece's question had given her. I don't know exactly, the girl replied. At least I don't want to answer your question until I get a little more information on the subject from you. Why not? Because you might not see any connection between your walking in your sleep and the matters we have been talking about. All right, I'll wait. Go ahead. Do you ever walk in your sleep? Hazel repeated. I haven't of recent years, Aunt Hannah replied but I used to walk in my sleep a good deal when I was a girl. I am going to tell you a secret regarding that subject, which no doubt will interest you very much. There is no particular reason why it should be a secret, but I am not much of a woman to talk about my personal affairs, and since I probably have not mentioned it for twenty or thirty years, I suppose my friends have all forgotten it. I was born and reared on a farm in Pennsylvania, the house in which we lived was a large, picturesque colonial structure, containing everything from an oil portrait of George Washington to an attic well populated with ghosts. We children, of course, were the creators of that colony of disembodied spirits, but they were very real creatures to our minds. There were six of us, three girls and three boys, and we were all of us possessed with the weird imaginations of childhood. I suppose these notions of ours were peculiar to the time and the neighborhood in which we lived. I was what was known as a flighty child, particularly when I was ill. Just a little fever accompanying some child's illness was enough to send me away on the wings of the most fantastic dreams. Many a time the wild manner in which I would sit up or stand up in bed and utter the most ridiculous ideas in my sleep frightened my parents into apprehensions of serious consequences to me. They and the family physician pronounced me abnormally nervous, but parenthetically, I do not regard myself as especially nervous now. Well, these peculiarities of mine developed to such an extent, I had to be watched closely every time a simple little child's illness came upon me. But this grew to be quite a joke with my brothers and sisters. My flighty words and actions in my sleep were about the funniest thing they ever heard or saw. It became so common an affair that they would wait for it with great glee, and next day would twit me about the ridiculous things I did and said in my sleep. For a few years matters continued in this way, and then I seemed to outgrow my flighty tendency or habit or whatever you choose to call it. I suppose a year went by without any further experience of this kind, until one night I awoke and found myself out of bed, standing somewhere with a wall of darkness all about me, except for a patch of faint starlight at a window several yards away. I stood very still for I know not how long, wondering whether I was awake or asleep. As the conviction crept over me stronger and stronger that I was really awake and had been walking in my sleep, I tried harder and harder to convince myself that I was in the land of dreams. 
but at last I realized that there was no use trying to delude myself, and I began to study my surroundings to determine how I was to find my way back to my bed. I must have spent fifteen minutes trying to find out where I was. I am sure it took half of that time to convince me that I was not in my own room. I made my way over to the window, feeling every inch carefully lest I fall down a stairway, and even when I got there I had difficulty in determining in what part of the house I was. But finally I got my bearings, and where do you suppose I found myself? I was in an unfurnished room at the end of the house, farthest from my bedroom, and I could now determine that when I awoke, I was near the door that opened onto the stairway, which led up into what we children had always called the ghost attic. It was now easy for me to make my way back to my room, which I did, and crept back into bed feeling very foolish. I was glad indeed that nobody had seen me. Well, I studied a good deal over that incident, which of course I kept a closed secret, and finally decided that my walking in my sleep on this occasion must have been a result of reading a ghost story the day before, in which some young folks valiantly invaded a haunted house after night, only to find that the supposed ghosts were a colony of bats that infested the place. I couldn't recall dreaming about anything of the kind myself, but sleepwalkers as a rule, I understand, don't remember their dreams. I was eighteen years old when this occurred. Nothing further of the kind happened until fourteen months later, the middle of the following summer, when I walked clear out of the house in the middle of the night and down to the boys' swimming pool that was fed by the creek that ran through Father's farm. I don't know what it was that caused me to make this trip, unless it was the talk I had heard among the boys about the springboard they had set up on the bank for diving. I was not ill on this occasion, nor on the last preceding. But fortunately I was watched, or I probably would not be here tonight, for I was unable to swim. A young man who was earning his way through college by working on farms in the summer, and anything he could get to do out of school hours, was employed by my father during this summer. He had been out late that night and was coming into the yard as I left the house. He followed me. I went direct to the swimming hole and walked out on the springboard. The young man who was following me rushed forward to stop me, but too late. I got to the end of the board when, crack, the board broke. Mrs. Hutchins got no further. Her story was interrupted in a manner that took the minds of both narrator and listener off the subject. The violence of the storm had subsided, so that although there was still a heavy downpour of rain, it was accompanied by little noise resulting from confusion of the elements. Almost simultaneously with the utterance of the word crack by Aunt Hannah, indicating the sound of the breaking of a swimming pool springboard hundreds of miles distant and more than thirty years before, came the sound of a real crack that split the air sharply two hundred yards away. It sounded very much like the explosion of a firearm, and before a word of astonishment could escape the lips of the startled listeners, the sound was followed by another, another and another of like character and rapid succession. Then came the scream of a human voice indicative of mingled pain, anger, and terror. 
End of chapter 14